So, Rachel. Yeah? Here's your very first episode teaser for Deep Space Nine. You've seen pics of the main characters and made predictions about their personalities and hobbies, and we'll discuss that later. (laughs) Now it's time to guess what will happen in the pilot. Well, I'm going in cold here, so my guesses can only get better. Imagine by Christmas. Oh, wow. How great they'll be. They'll be outstanding. (laughs) When a troubled Commander Sisko takes command of a surrendered space station, he learns that it borders a unique stable wormhole. (laughs) What do you think you're going to get? Let's say we'll have some meetings with aliens, some quark shenanigans, Mm -hmm. people walking and talking. (laughs) (laughs) Going low. Going yep. vague. Yeah. They can send shuttles through the wormhole to meet new aliens, but should they? Mm-mm. Nine go through it, and now they are the Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Hey. That's it. You nailed it. Rachel watches Star Trek! Resistance is futile. You will disarm your weapons and escort us to Sector 001. If you attempt to intervene, we will destroy you. Welcome to our coverage of the Deep Space Nine pilot, The Emissary. Welcome. I am Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you're listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. This episode going out to everybody everywhere. It is here! Now, it's written by Michael Piller and Rick Berman, co-creators of Deep Space Nine, well known to us as executive producers on TNG. Mm-hmm. Mixed feelings. Yeah. As well as their individual writing and production contributions, they'd previously co-written TNG episodes Ensign Row and Unifications Part 1 and 2. This episode is directed by David Carson, director of TNG episodes The Enemy, Yesterday's Enterprise, Redemption 2, and The Next Phase. Ones Not memorable ones there. That you like. I uh, I love Next Phase and Yesterday's right, Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, he's going to go on to direct three more Deep Space Nine episodes in season one and two and the Star Trek movie Generations. And it's a movie-length pilot, so you know what that means. Cue song. Yes, sir, we got a two-part show, half of the press of one. Leave the dock with double cargo, that'll take twice as long. Yeah, let's have twice the fun. Nobody called for a two-part show, but it's too much to review. Jones is the next gen, let it go, and quit your hullabaloo. We're splitting my mints at two. Oh, he's back. Here we are. Or are we? What's the cutest doing here? We start with clips of TNG's The Best of Both Worlds, Part 2. We're back at the Battle of Wolf 359, where Starfleet made a stand to try and stop the Borg from reaching Earth. Yeah, but we're not looking at our old crew, apart from Picard. We're looking at a totally different ship. Exactly. It does not go well for Starfleet at this particular battle. And we join the brave vessels of the doomed defense, the USS Saratoga, which has a Vulcan captain played by J.G. Hertzler, who will reappear on Deep Space Nine later as a Klingon Martog. Mm. Uh, the shields are gone in seconds. The Borg engage. They're cutting with their cutting beam, and it's just a mess. There's a big explosion Ugh. on the bridge, killing the captain and several others. They didn't stand a chance. The executive officer on that ship was Benjamin Sisko. He pushes himself clear of the debris. 
the Bolian tactical officer has also survived and heads to help civilians to the escape pods. So this first time I've seen Cisco in action. Yeah. A little reminder of my guesses about him. Well, he looks very serious, <laughs> but if you know him well, you can get him going. Uh-huh. You know, get a bit of a laugh out of him. Yeah. Bit of a smile. He's got a dark secret, or several, but he tries not to let it affect crew. Mm-hmm. Plays an instrument. Very serious about his work. I don't think it's going to be as zany, this one, is it? Are they ever going to dress up in period costume? Uh, yeah, they do, actually. I'm visualizing him in a kind of musketeer's outfit at some point. <laughs> He's not going to be happy about it, but he'll get into it eventually. He's got a troublesome sibling. Does he have any hobbies? Playing the guitar. Okay. Looks like he's holding a ball there, so let's go for bulls. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on sure. On the holodeck. Okay, I love it. It's <laughs> too early to call it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Cisco is played by Avery Brooks, a theater actor prior to Deep Space Nine. He was best known for playing the role of Hawk on the TV crime series Spencer for Hire. I used to watch that. The reason he was not allowed to shave his head as Cisco in the earlier seasons of Deep Space Nine is because Paramount thought he would look too much like his character from Spencer for Hire, Hawk. Okay. Brooks is also a jazz singer and a musician and a theater professor. Oh, so we might get some musician stuff in this then for Cisco, if I'm lucky or unlucky, Uh. depending. (laughs) (laughs) He certainly takes his acting as a form of freeform jazz. Yeah, he's really, I mean, he levels out as the series goes, but he's bizarre. Wow. And I think the actor is also very bizarre. I haven't seen it yet, but there's the Captain's documentary where Shatner interviews all the people that played captains on all the Star Trek series. Yep. Supposedly, his interaction with Avery Brooks is a bit of a weirdo out. Oh, great. Like, they're both being bizarre during the whole thing. <laughs> oh, my. Great. Want to see that? <laughs> yeah, we have to watch that. There's a part that I was quite sleepy watching this. There's a part I feel like I must have dreamt where he kind of goes, oh. So- <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Oh. That was real. Scat devil to do bat bow about the commander. Great. Yeah, he's he's different. He sure is. If you want something that's the same old, same old, you're not going to get that here. <laughs> but he calms down later he when does. he gets in the room with uh, Patty Stew Stew because he realizes maybe I am being too silly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he calms down and it gets to be more like a regular, normal human and not some kind of expressionist jazz performer (laughs) Cisco runs to his quarters they're a mass of flaming rubble he pulls his semi-conscious son out Jake from the wreckage and the computer announces in three minutes containment failure is going to happen the Uh ship's going to blow up he finds his wife Jennifer she's trapped but dead and the Bolian officer has to pull him out kicking and screaming because he doesn't want to leave his wife's body there. Oh, awful. We've got somebody who would do anything they could to try and save their family, a father and yeah. husband mm-hmm. who's just had a lot of loss and horror. Yeah. So, you know, supposed to be on his side. Cisco reaches the escape pod with his son as the Borg cube destroys the Saratoga. What do you think of the start of this series? It's high action. Yeah. High stakes. Mm-hmm. A lot of loss. And some unique acting, as we've <laughs> mentioned. The film quality is on the dodgy side. Well, yes. That's because Rafe has given us high-def remasterings. It's done with you know artificial intelligence where they oh. go through and make it a better image. However, we aren't watching those right now um. because of reasons. <laughs> but we will watch them on the later. But right yeah. now we're watching the standard definition. Oh, yeek. Why did it need to be remastered? Is that just what everything looked like then? That's what everything looked like when you were watching tube television. And we're just not used to it now? We're not used to it. Wow. It feels really weird though trying to follow and invest in a whole new cast. Like, oh gosh, can I really... 
can I do this again? <laughs> <laughs> Let's I don't know. hope it brings some new vim and vigor into yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, I gotta say, watching this, I haven't watched it in a couple of years, and after watching all of the Star Trek that we have watched, it's pretty solid. Yeah? Comparatively. Oh, <laughs> compared to what? The first episode of TNG. Okay. It just feels like it's a little bit more thought out. There's a bit more drama to it. Mm-hmm. The stakes are, inter- it's an interesting situation, whereas yeah. like I felt like in Encounter at Farpoint, it was just sort of like, oh, here's some people. They're on a starship. True. Yes. Got conflict from the start, interpersonal and on political a, on a war scale. Oh, yeah. yeah. All this stuff is cultural. Going on. It's really cultural stuff is happening. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I think it's probably just for me. Every time we start a new series, I realize about 10 minutes into it, it's not really feel like my thing. It's a bit sci fi. <laughs> <laughs> I realize that's your job, girl. That's the whole point of this. Yeah. Three years later now, a teenage Jake is fishing. Jake is played by Sirach Lufton, the youngest actor ever cast on any regular Star Trek series. Oh. He had only just turned 14 when he filmed this, his first scenes here. What about Alexander? He's not a regular. Oh, so this guy's going to be in it a lot. Yeah. I noticed he's on the banner that Rafe has made for us, the new Deep Space Nine banner. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's a he's, he's, legit. he's going to be on pretty much every episode. Lefton hosted the Star Trek podcast, The Seventh Rule, with friend and fellow Deep Space Nine cast member Aaron Eisenberg. But Eisenberg passed away in 2019. Aww. He had long-running kidney problems, and Eisenberg played Nog, who we'll meet later in the show. Cisco tells Jake they have to get ready to leave, and Jake's not keen on living on an old space station orbiting Bajor, but Cisco tries to big it up and says they'll take the pond with them, and he ends the holo program. Yeah. So he's hoping there's going to be a holodeck on there. I'm not sure once we see it. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, there is. There, there is? There is. Oh, but, but it's well, not, not working, is it? Well, Quark has, what you're going to find out later, holo sweets. Oh, gosh, that yeah. sounds seedy. Exactly. Great. We get our first glimpse of Deep Space Nine out of the viewing window with a galaxy-class starship in dock. When we get the opening credits with a Deep Space Nine theme tune, which won composer Dennis McCarthy an Emmy and was described by Jeff Bond in the music of Star Trek as an atmospheric, haunted, yet somehow noble horn melody that beautifully captured the isolation of the station, and the quixotic nature of its inhabitants. Mm-hmm. But you skipped the intro, so I haven't heard the theme tune yet. So let me have another guess at how it goes. Just based on the first <laughs> bit of visuals, okay? And go. Space rock tumbling through the void. Come on, girls and boys. Let's check out the design of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> We've got humans and Ferengi. No, they're not too friendly. But here's the bottom line. It's Deep Space Nine. So get into it. Wow. Thanks. That's way better than the real song. Way (laughs) Way better. better. (laughs) Oh, my God. So there you go. Let's see if it's anything like that. Man, we got to. Do a, an arrangement of that. Yeah, that it, can anyone great. can anyone do music? Can you put some uh, somehow some beats behind that? I know I, it was totally out of rhythm and out of tune, but work can, your magic. <laughs> I can. Yeah, I you know we'll, we'll talk to some people. Maybe we get that happen. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. great. And here we have Commander Cisco's first log. Commence station log. Deep Space Nine. Commander Benjamin Cisco. Stardate four six three eight eight point two. At the request of the Bajoran Provisional Government, Starfleet has agreed to establish a Federation presence in this system following the withdrawal of the Cardassian Occupational Forces. 
The first contingent of officers, including my chief of operations, Miles O'Brien, arrived two days ago on the Enterprise. Yay, it's O'Brien! <laughs> Why is he transferred? What's he done? Maybe it's a step up, because oh. he's the chief engineer here. Oh, not just twiddling some knobs on the And he's not just a transporter yeah. chief. So maybe, or... Maybe Keiko got a promotion. He's just coming along no. with. <laughs> no. We'll find out about what's going on with poor Keiko. Oh, no. She's not too keen on Deep Space Nine. Uh, the station promenade has been wrecked. The Cardassians technically gave it up, as agreed, but they stripped it and killed four Bajorans who were defending their shops. What is going on? Just in general. Well, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. A peace treaty was brokered where the Cardassians had to leave Bajor. Well, how'd they been doing, though? They've occupied it. Oh, right. They've colonized it. I don't know if colonized is, is quite the same. But Just yeah. occupied it. Okay. Occupied, you know, yeah. came in, stole their resources. Oh. Were terrible. And mm. somehow the Federation brokered a treaty with them. They oh. agreed to leave. And they're leaving. They're not taking the station with them because I don't think they can. So the Bajorans have got the might of the Federation behind them. Well, yeah, they're they're not part of the Federation, but the Federation mm. is assisting them because they think it's in their best interest. And eventually they're hoping the Bajorans are going to become part of the Federation. Yeah. But we're going to find out that that is not as simple as it seems mm-hmm. later in the episode. When the Cardassians, because they're jerks. Yeah. When they were leaving. Scorched the earth, didn't they? Basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. The Bajorans can have this space station. Let's wreck yeah. it and take all the useful stuff out of it. So yeah. it doesn't have any defenses. It's all the wiring's messed up. You're going to find out there's some naughty surprises that are going to be in there as well. Naughty surprises? Yeah. Not this fun is, surprises. <laughs> this is why you've got to escort people out of the office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't let them nick all the staplers on their way out uh-huh. and cut all the cords if they're people like the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. Now, walking through the station, they pass a Bajoran temple. A monk invites Cisco to enter, and he says, the prophets await. And Cisco mm. says, another time, perhaps. But this guy's like, there's a thing going on. You know, there's mm. a lot of eye contact. Yeah. Everybody's really serious. There's he's, a vibe. Mm, you said he's cruising. I thought maybe he was cruising, yeah. <laughs> a bit of a... The prophet's await. Oh, mm, and he licks his lips. <laughs> and he's like, and he goes, another time. <laughs> they did have some spiritual elements and leaders in unification, so same writer. It, very intriguing, but didn't feel very comfortable with this bit. O'Brien shows Cisco and Jake to their quarters and remarks that Keiko started talking about visiting her mother in Japan when she saw theirs. Mm-hmm. O'Brien says he'll get a bunk brought over from the Enterprise, which reminds him Captain Picard wants to see Cisco. What the heck? Yeah. We're going to cross the streams already? Well, or just you... to get us used to it? Yeah. It's handover. Yeah, exactly. A warm handover. handover, yeah. A warm handover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what they're calling it these days. <laughs> Cisco tells Jake they'll have to rough it for a while, while until things are up and running. But the way he delivers things, <laughs> you got a weird dad, kid. Yeah. And the kid's just the most natural actor yeah. going up against this yeah he gets like really close to him in weird uncomfortable ways the Make kid's it, awesome because yeah. he seems like yeah this is cool it's just how dad is <laughs> yeah. whereas i would be like dad, dad. space oh, gotta both fit into the shot <laughs> o'brien takes cisco to ops next and points out uh, the prefect's office it's up steps so everyone needs to look up to the prefect hierarchy major kira has been using it as an office, and we get this. You are throwing it all away. All of you. You're being a fool. Well then, don't ask my opinion next time. Yes. I'm Benjamin Sisko. 
I suppose you want the office. Well, I thought I'd say hello first, and then take the office. But we could do it in any order you'd like. Hello. Is something bothering you, Major? You don't want to ask me that, Commander. Why not? Because I have the bad habit of telling the truth. Even when people don't want to hear it. Perhaps I want to hear it. I don't believe the Federation has any business being here. The provisional government disagrees with you. The provisional government and I don't agree on a lot of things, which is probably why they sent me to this godforsaken place. I have been fighting for Bajoran independence since I was old enough to pick up a phaser. We finally drive the Cardassians out, and what do our new leaders do? They call up the Federation and invite them right in. The Federation is only here to help... Help us. Yes, I know. The Cardassians said the same thing 60 years ago. Well, she's a salty one. They're showing us that early on. Mm -hmm. Remember my guesses about her? She's a Bajoran. She is a Bajoran. Is. Is she the, the uh, Dime Star Row, then? Yes. Replacement. So she's going to be very hard-lined. You know, she's uh, defensive of the underdog. Mm -hmm. And she's going to make sure that things are done correctly, not in a friendly way. She's not trying to please anyone. Right. Does she have any hobbies? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she loves... <laughs> you wouldn't be surprised uh -huh. how much she enjoys making tapestries. Oh, okay. She's not a good chef. She's not a good chef. But no. she's good with pastries. <laughs> and That's very specific. <laughs> she's a great shot. Okay. On the yeah. holodeck. Yeah. Or in real life. What about you know? her past? What about... Do you remember mm. the Bajorans were oppressed yes. by the Cardassians? Oh, right. It's going to be hard for her. She's going to have to go to counselling to overcome her prejudice mm -hmm. against them and to be able to make reasoned decisions. Yeah. Yeah? But she's going to kick off at one point against okay. them in a way that doesn't serve the captain's orders. I love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe getting a few bits right, a but bit. we'll see. A little bit. It's interesting because she is different than Ro, because mm. Ro would be in the Federation and it would be a different dynamic. She's from Bajor. She's fought for Bajor. She's lived there the whole time, so she is totally vested. Yeah. They need somebody there on that side of the fence, and then we got Cisco on the other side. So yeah, all right. I think it's... Good. I think yeah. it's better. Major Kira Norris is played by Nana Visitor, as well as appearing in a number of Broadway plays before Deep Space Nine. She appeared in soap operas, including Ryan's Hope, The Doctors, One Life to Live, and guest starred on crime action dramas, including Hunter, MacGyver, Remington Steel, and Knight Rider. Still going. I think I might have seen a couple of Knight Riders back in the day, but I haven't seen any of those other shows. I'm all around you, Michael. She is. <laughs> Cisco tells Kira that he specifically requested a Bajoran as his first officer. She's number one and he's the captain. Well, yeah. I mean, he's technically a commander, but he's in charge. And it's not a ship anyway, so you don't need a captain. Exactly. Their conversation is interrupted by an alarm going off. In A14, which is a section of the station, I guess, a young Ferengi boy... This is Nog. ...is telling his accomplice, a spiky-faced alien, pretty, you know, cool new makeups, mm -hmm. yeah. to hurry up as he loots ore samples. They're caught by Odo. That's the eyebrowless alien shapeshifter that yeah. I made my guesses about. Some I guessed ones. it wasn't his real face. Yeah, you're totally and right. And also, Odo looks very serious. Uh-huh. So this is our Spock slash Data equivalent. 
some kind of alien. <laughs> he is an alien. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not his real face. <gasps> y- yeah, you it's might like be- a pretend face. Wow. To look better, like more acceptable to humans or something. Very good. Mm, but he's not datery Spocky because he's no. quite an angry dude. He is. He's yeah. grumpy. He's real grumpy. Yeah. Odo is played by Rene Aubergenois who previously appeared as the traitorous Colonel West in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Colonel West. Oh, hmm. He was a baddie who was a Federation guy who yes. wanted war between the Klingons. Yeah, Remember okay, when they were trying yeah. To make peace. Now, before Deep Space Nine, he was best known for roles as the snooty Clinton Endicott in Benson and Father Mulcahy in the film of M.A.S.H. Post Deep Space Nine, he appeared in Boston Legal alongside his friend and castmate Armin Shipperman, who mm-hmm. we'll be seeing soon. Unfortunately, Rene passed away in 2019. Uh, the alien throws a morning star at Odo, whose head turns into a jelly-like substance so that the weapon passes through harmlessly. Odo mm-hmm. pins him against the wall, and Cisco pulls a phaser, fires a warning shot, telling them, That's enough! That's enough! <laughs> Odo sternly tells Cisco that he doesn't allow weapons on the promenade. Oh, we're going to have a power struggle here. Mm-hmm. What, is he chief of security? He is! Okay. And he works for the Bajorans. You notice that oh. his uniform is different. His is like Major Kira's. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. And he's been there for a long time, and he's not going to have any of these new people coming in doing things differently. Exactly. As you said before, Nog the Kid is played by Aaron Eisenberg, who was actually 23 at the time. As a teenager, he underwent a kidney transplant that stunted his growth. This was his first major role. His uncle approaches Cisco and introduces himself as Quark. There he is. There he is. He used to run the gambling establishment on the station. I guess he ran a theatre company. Oh, wow, that would have been great. Uh, I also said he'd be trouble, mm-hmm. too silly and irritable, which is probably all fair. I don't know if he's going to be silly. Is he going to be silly? He's not silly. He's a fun character. Mm-hmm. I like Quark a lot. He's a bit more serious in this first episode, but he gets up to hijinks later. Good. My cultural ambassador guess is close-ish in this episode, Mm. I guess. Yeah. Quark is played by Armin Shimmerman, one of the first Ferengi to appear on screen in TNG, the episode The Last Outpost, Mm -hmm. plus the Ferengi Damon Rector in peak performance, as well as the talking head in a box that announced Troy's impending marriage in Haven. Outside, <laughs> blocks that out. Yeah, that's it was very creepy. Outside of Deep Space Nine, you probably most recognized him as Principal Schneider from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Judge Brian Hooper from Boston Legal. He is also an adjunct professor at the University of Southern California and has served as a Shakespeare scholar on hundreds of productions. All right, then. So he knows his stuff. Yeah. He says, hey, come on, let this kid off. But Cisco says, nope, he's going to the brig. Yikes, he's playing hardball. Hardball? Kira suspects Quark told the boy to steal the ore samples in the first place. Cisco tells her about a Ferengi legal tradition called plea bargaining. He might let the boy go later, but he wants something from Quark in return. And it's something very important. Mm. Picard, meanwhile, is waiting in the Enterprise's observation lounge when Cisco enters. Picard, what the... Cisco's very grumpy. Oh, yeah. not pleased to see him. We've met before, he says, in battle. He means as Locutus. Yeah, that's right. I was on the Saratoga. Oh, what a grudge. Yikes. And it was, but it wasn't him. You it know, wasn't don't, him. And don't remind him. It was awful for him too. And it's, it's not his fault. But in this scene, happy to see that Patty Stew's influence seems to calm and get a better performance out of Cisco for the scene together. Better yeah. slash more. 
normal. More, yeah. <laughs> less less uh, entertaining, though, probably. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not as... Uh, free form it's not as free form mm-hmm. as uh, one would usually expect from Avery yeah, yeah but maybe i'll get used to it and really enjoy it we get some background on the current situation on bajor the cardassians have spent the last 50 years robbing the planet of every resource they could before abandoning it leaving the bajorans without any way of sustaining themselves the federation's relief efforts are barely adequate huh. now the cardassians have withdrawn factions that were once united against the cardassians have fallen back into old rivalries oh dear cisco says it sounds like they're not ready to join the federation picard tells him it is his job to do everything short of breaking the prime directive to make sure that they are and also break it if you need to because not that bothered <laughs> cisco has objected to this assignment deep space nine in a place to raise a kid in fact, it's cold as hell. <laughs> He's looking into returning to Earth for civilian service. So, God, that's a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't it? Yeah. Just for a matter of fact, mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine is not cold as hell. In fact, it's too hot. It's way too hot. 30-something degrees? Yeah. Rest in temperature? The Cardassians like the hot temperature. Oh, do they? And that's why they, and they, they lock the dials so that they're stuck in the really mm-hmm. hot. Because they're jerks. Well, in the meantime, I will do the job I've been ordered to do f- to the best of my ability, sir. <laughs> He's got some stuff. I told you. Did I? Did I guess he's got some stuff in his past? No, yes. You know. In Odo's security office, Cisco tells Quark not to leave the station. Yeah. Everyone on the station relies on the shops on the promenade, and it's at risk of becoming a ghost town. He's going to reopen his establishment and be a community leader. <laughs> Yikes! Wow. Who else did he have to choose from? I guess not many. Guess he's good at it. Yeah. Quark laughs uproariously at this. <laughs> this Bajoran provisional government is far too provisional for my taste, he says. And when governments fall, people like me are lined up and shot. So that's pretty Yikes. intense that this is the kind of thing they're dealing with. Cisco says, sure, but I'll let your nephew off if you take the gamble. Surely he's not going to be that much of a kind uncle, is he? Yes. Outside the wrecked promenade, Major Kira has ditched her jacket and is hefting debris into a skip. Ro did this. She ditched her jacket and had a little little slip underneath, a little right. vest, and they both look fabulous with it. They do look good. She snarks that Starfleet officers probably aren't used to getting their hands dirty. <laughs> and so Cisco just goes over, picks up one piece, throws it in, and it's like, there you go. <laughs> so unuseful. He keeps taking the pieces that she's holding <laughs> and putting them somewhere else. There's, there's plenty of people with chips on their shoulders who've yes. been through a lot. So more conflict already than we've got, than we have had in other series totally different yeah than all the other star trek stuff this is ripe with conflict yeah although we got to always remember mccoy yeah let's not pretend yeah exactly yeah but this is a little bit more serious and not just a grumpy old guy Mm. this is a this is some deep held beliefs that are coming in hard conflict yeah at least everyone's being honest about how they feel, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Cisco wants to know what's going on, basically. And she lays it to him and says, look, only one person can prevent civil war here. And it's Opaka, the spiritual leader, which they call a Kai. That's the, like a priest mm. for them. Their religion is one thing that unifies all Bajorans together. Mm. A monk from earlier approaches Cisco and tells him it is time. Got a big difference there between the generally humans of the Federation and uh, the Bajorans then. Yeah. See how that goes. But yeah, it's... There's a, actually, there's a lot of non-humans in Deep Space Nine in the Federation as well. Yeah. Well, the religion is a big part of this, which, mm. you know, most of the Federation people seem to be atheists or don't have any strong religious beliefs. It. They don't mention it for sure. I think it's interesting that this has a unifying planet religion. Mm, yeah. I wonder what that's like. 
<laughs> yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> One whole planet and everybody believes the same thing. Well, and maybe. nobody fights about it. <laughs> maybe there's proof of this well, one. Well, <laughs> there I mean there is. There is supernatural supernatural in one view stuff mm. that we're going to see coming up soon. Mm. Now, down on Bejor, Cisco is taken to meet with Kaya Opaka in a damaged temple with a central pool. Yeah. Think none but red. None cassock but red. Right. And a big earring and a you know, a complicated earring. N-U-N none, not N-O-N-E none. <laughs> N-U-N. Sister act. <laughs> Sister act, yes. Uh, and we get this. I apologize for the condition in which we greet you. The Cardassians. Your arrival has been greatly anticipated. Have you ever explored your power, Commander? Power? A Bajoran draws courage from his spiritual life. Our life force, our power, is replenished by the prophets. Breathe. Uh, Kaiopaka, if we could discuss. Breathe! who does not wish to be among us is to be the emissary. Please come with me. What are you doing with his ear? I think it's like a pressure point thing. Oh, oh you know, like, trying to calm him down. Or connect. just connect with him or right. have him connect with other parts of himself that he's not connected with. Bring him to the present. He seems to be wincing though. Maybe she's piercing it and shoving one of those earrings in there. She's not. <laughs> <laughs> Opaka reveals the pool is a hologram concealing stairs down. Spiral staircase, that's really cool. I like that. Love that. She opens a case to reveal a glowing gem-like hourglass that hovers and spins. The tear of the prophet. There's a flash and Cisco finds himself on a beach holding a tray of drinks. Glad to see he looks as good in short shorts as Patty Stew. Yeah. He suddenly realizes the sand is red hot and we got to get a bit of a physical comedic acting from him <laughs> and runs to a nearby towel, finding his wife, Jennifer, topless. Well, she's got her bikini top there, but it's yeah. not on at the back. Yeah, yeah. And because he remembers her and she doesn't, it's quite creepy to start with, but she kind of goes along with it. He realizes this is the moment they first met and he's living it out in amazing detail. He charms her before the vision ends and he returns to the present, crying out for her and holding his head in his hands. What's your game, Opaka? That is so mean. <laughs> he didn't ask for that. She's not doing it. What are you doing? Opaka tells him nine orbs like this have appeared in the sky over the past 10,000 years in Bejor. The Cardassians took the others. Cisco must find the, the celestial temple before the Cardassians do. She gives him the orb to guide him. It is, quite simply, Commander, the journey you have always been destined to take. God, this is so mysterious and dodgy. Mm. So what's going on with this orb? When it first meets you, it shows you a particular memory. It just yeah. forces it on you. It connects, yeah, it connects you to your past. Huh, mm. The beginning of another journey you were meant to take Ex or something. Exactly, and it also lets the audience get some backstory. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I hope it's not going to keep doing it to him, though. No, well... Back on Deep Space Nine's promenade, light and laughter are coming from Quark's bar. Musicians are playing space instruments. 
<laughs> One is a tower of slate. Yeah. Uh, people are gambling. Underboob is on on the go. <laughs> it's it all is. out there. And drinks are flowing. He's already done it. Cisco knew he was the guy for the job. Dr. Bashir and Lieutenant Jadzia Dax, new character alerts, mm-hmm. come aboard. Before heading off with Kira, Bashir awkwardly asks Dax if she'd like to have dinner or a drink later. And she accepts. <laughs> What an introduction to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take your time, man. It's like you swooping in once you realized I was single. Well. <laughs> Don't leave it too late. You, you leave it too late and you're crying. <laughs> Dr. Julian Bashir is played by Alexander Siddig. This was his first major role. He was considered for the part of Cisco, but at 25... Gosh, yeah. he was felt to be too young. He's 25. Yeah. Really didn't look it. Looks older. Siddig is most recently well known for roles in Games of Thrones and, Goth- and Gotham. I had some strong guesses for this character. Oh, well, he's a good time, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he likes hanging out in 10 forward and having a good laugh. But he's got a troubled past. Um, some sadness. I see it in his eyes. Either his mom or his dad. Something they died or something bad happened. Wow. Uh, he had a different route to Starfleet from the typical route. Mm-hmm. He's human. <laughs> yeah. He's a doctor. <laughs> there you go. Good. And he plays... No, not the cello. He plays the clarinet. <laughs> well, it's too early to tell, but we'll have to see if he's got a troubled childhood past. Yeah. <laughs> but we can already tell he's a good time. Maybe too much of a good too time. Too much of a good time. Walking together, Cisco comments that Bashir is a little young for her, and Dax says he's 27. <laughs> I'm 28. Cisco goes maybe 328. <laughs> that's nice. That's that's fun. That's a good little bit of dialogue, isn't it? Yeah. To introduce this new character. And she's some, gorgeous. It's some exposition, but I think it's done pretty well, yeah. honestly. And he goes, does he know about that slug inside of you? And she says, yes. He knows I'm a trill. Cisco wonders if he'd be so fascinated if Dax looked like they did when Cisco met Dax. Mm-hmm. Cisco's being a bit creepy because he obviously knows Dax, but in another form. But now, yeah. but he's sort of simultaneously joking and perving. Yeah, he kind of is <laughs> checking like her it. out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a weird way. Jadzia Dax is played by the amazing Terry Farrell. <laughs> I remember her from the 1986 Rodney Dangerfield classic film Back to School. Mm-hmm. She was Rodney's son's love interest in that movie. Yeah. She has also starred in short-lived series Paper Dolls, guest starred in a number of other series prior to Deep Space Nine, including playing Cat in the second pilot for the U.S. version of Red Dwarf. Oh, right. Do you have to do a second pilot because the first one was terrible? I think, yeah. She is Spock's daughter-in-law because <laughs> she married Adam Nimoy. Oh, oh very in 2018. nice. So, yeah. Gosh, what an attractive couple they might be. I don't know what Adam looks like. Do I? We watched he's anything doc- like his dad. We, we watched the documentary, remember? Yeah. For the love of Spock. I think pretty good. Was he good looking? He's all right, yeah. yeah. Our final main character is here, but what about the other three of the Deep Space Nine? Maybe I'll meet them in the second part. Here's what I guessed about her. Well, she's got a slight smile on her lips in this picture. Mm-hmm. So I think she's uh, got a little kindness. Um, she can also be hurt. But <laughs> don't mess because she give it to you if you're not doing what you should <laughs> or if you're being unfair to anybody. <laughs> Uh, she has a gentle strength and she is a good dancer really likes the color deep pink like when she gets to dress in her own clothes okay she fancies everyone so might get some you know sexy 
pansexual vibes. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bashir is getting off to a fantastic start with Major Kira thoughtlessly starting on about this opportunity to practice frontier medicine. Ooh. Oh, dear Shades of McCoy, where the adventure is. This is where heroes are made, right here in the wilderness. Kira sternly points out this wilderness is her home and it's also been devastated by the enemy. As Bashir tries to remove his foot from his mouth, Kira tells him the Cardassians left behind a lot of wounded people. Put your skills to use helping the natives. I thought uh, that was pretty good. Yeah, what their conflict, well, establishing well, just, who they are. Well, just establishing, look, you know, uh, this is about this is anti-colonialism is what we're trying to deal with here. And mm. that's obviously a criticism that's been pointed at the Federation mm. about them being a form of colonists right. as well. Seeing people as needing to be elevated or changed. Well, yeah, but also they don't do that. That's like the whole point of the Prime Directive is that they don't do that. Mm, they're, tell not this guy that they're not colonists. They're not colonizers. Yeah. But, but they do swoop in and help. Well, sometimes. <laughs> yes, in ways. Quite a lot. But that's the point. They're, they're bringing it up. They're aware of it. And I think that's an interesting perspective. And of course, we're seeing it from the, the perspective of the people who are or were being colonized. Yeah. And Bashir is just happy to be there. He's an enthusiastic guy ready to take on the job. He's not intending to be thoughtless. No. He just is. He's not being culturally sensitive, obviously. No. So we can also see where he's coming from yes. and it's right that he's been told off as well right well yeah he's coming from a very privileged viewpoint cisco is with dax in the orb in a science lab he's had the computers interface with the monk's historical records and dax tells cisco that she was happy when she heard that he had taken this assignment she had been worried about him oh and cisco says that he's missed her too old man mm -hmm. dax later opens the orb's case and finds herself on an operating table opposite an old man this is Curzon Dax. Being operated in a surgery, he smiles at her before the Dax symbiont is transferred, and then another flash, Dax is back in her lap. So we see Whoa. that Dax is the symbiont. And yeah, just in case you haven't seen that episode of TNG. Yes. You don't know how it works. How it yeah. works. Oh, so gross. <laughs> it was pretty nasty. Oh, yeah, Back on the Enterprise, O'Brien is taking a last look around the bridge before leaving for good, trying to sneak off without saying goodbye. Yeah. Assuming no one will be bothered. Yeah. Oh. But in the transporter room, we get this. Transport me to the ops pad, Maggie. Yes, sir. Mr. O'Brien. I understand that I just missed you on the bridge. Yes, sir. I... I didn't want to disturb you, sir. Ensign. This is your favorite transporter room, isn't it? Number three. Yes, sir. You know, yesterday, I called down here, and I asked for you without thinking. It won't be quite the same. It's just a transporter room, sir. Permission to disembark, Captain. Permission granted. Energize. Ah, that's nice. So awkward and. Oh, it's <laughs> alright. So like male, just you know, it's like, well, it's nice having you. Oh, I think it's sweet. It was all right. 
Yeah, there's no point being over the top if they haven't had a genuine, real, yeah, deep bond. But yeah. he's, he's saying, "I appreciate you, and yeah. you're an honored member of the team." Yes. Yeah. And that he would be missed. Woody, though. Oh. <laughs> After O'Brien beams out, the Enterprise pulls away from Deep Space Nine and departs. So we're done with TNG for now. Oh. He gets straight to work on Deep Space Nine, announcing they're being hailed by Gull Dukat. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> this is crazy. I didn't realize that Deep Space Nine was happening at the same time as TNG. I knew it was being released at the same time, but I didn't know it was kind of like you could almost go, meanwhile, yeah. on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's totally. Right, okay. And then Deep Space Nine goes on after TNG stops. So oh. we get a, well, I mean, you know, Worf comes over to Deep Space right, Nine. Of course he does. Of course he does. How else could it work? Yeah. Now, Gold Dukat is a Cardassian, obviously, and he's played by Mark Alemo, who has played multiple Trek characters previously. Canine alien Badar in The Lonely Among Us, Romulan Tabak in The Neutral Zone, Cardassian Gold Masset in The Wounded, mm. and the gambler Frederick Larouk oh, gosh. in Time's Arrow Part 1. Wow, what a chameleon. He is. Oh, is he really tall? Because that neck is so wide, but then he still looks tall. I think he's tall. Crazy makeup. Yeah. Really gone for him there. Ducat enters Cisco's and his own old office and they exchange greetings. Ducat makes veiled threats, saying Cisco is a long way from the Federation on a poorly defended station. Mm. Uh, their friendly neighbours, the Cardassians, will be happy to respond to any problems. Mm, yeah, a bit menacing. We yeah. know you're vulnerable and we're right around the corner. Later, we learn Dax has uncovered a lead about the orbs mm -hmm. relating to the nearby Denorius belt, which at least five of the orbs have been found in, but it's a very dangerous place. And there are 23 reports of severe neutrino disturbances. Mm -hmm. Dax has located a rough area where she thinks they should look for the celestial temple. So what they're gonna do, they've gotta get the orb back to the temple no. before the Cardassians can get all the other orbs together or something. Well, they, I think what's happening here is that there is a celestial temple, but nobody knows where it is. And well, the orbs for it. will help guide them to the Celestial Temple. Oh, gosh. So they don't want the Cardassians getting to it because they think they can destroy it, which to me sounds crazy that they would have the power to destroy a Celestial Temple. Oh. Uh, but maybe with the orbs, they would. Hmm. And they only have one orb to guide them. But the Kai has said that Cisco is the emissary and that he is going to be the one that's going to actually be able to get to the Celestial Temple in some vision that she's had. Yowzers. So him with one orb... Got yep. a better chance than the Cardassians with all the others, nearly. Well, he's supposed to go. Mm. And maybe the prophets want him to come there. We're, you know, you're gonna, we're gonna find out. So we've got a quest here in a kind of a, a more of a fantasy type genre way. Yeah. Now in Quarks, the Cardassians are winning at the Dabo table when Kira walks in and announces the establishment is being closed on the orders of Commander Sisko. Hmm, make Quark, your mind up. Quark is outraged and then gets something to carry their winnings in, a knapsack. And there's a little something going on. People are kind of looking each mm -hmm. other in the eyes. This is all a setup. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Because on the Cardassian warship, the Cardassians complain about being kicked off. They're like, we were winning too much money. They take the knapsack of their winnings and throw it in a little storage closet. Mm -hmm. Turns out the knapsack, it's Odo. Whoa. He shapeshifted into a knapsack. Whoa. You didn't know he could do that, did you? No, I didn't. He flows out of the locker and reforms. He sneaks around and he's going to do something sneaky. He's like the good baddie from the Terminator. Right. They're using that similar 
special effect. Special effect. Yeah, instead of him being a, a silver shiny dude, he's like kind of a semi-translucent golden. A slimy, lighty. I'd say molasses-like. <laughs> molasses, that's nice. That is nice. Honey. He finds the control panel and sabotages the Cardassian sensors and engines, allowing Cisco and Dax to depart in the runabout, uh, which is called the Rio Grande. O'Brien tries to beam Odo back to the station, but the station's Cardassian transporter refuses to work. So using his vast engineering knowledge, he kicks the council <laughs> and it works. <laughs> Odo materializes on Deep Space Nine's little stage. Mm, so he's got these extra human powers that make him a little bit data-ish, oh, but like, not the personality of data. Or just alien. Alien powers, yeah. He's just really, he's different. He's very different than anybody else yeah. because he can do these things that nobody else can do. Secret weapon. Which is like Data, because Data could do stuff that nobody else can do. Now, in syndication, this is the split point between parts one and two, where it fades out after the runabout pulls away because they're heading off to this location where they think the Celestial Temple is going to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good place for us to end part one. Yeah, why not? It was also just about halfway through the episode itself, yeah. so... So join us next week for the second part of this and all of our ratings. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we'll rate it higher than the other pilots, the cage, the Beyond the Father's Star, Encounter at Farpoint, the Vulcan Hello from Disco. Oh, right, yeah. Strange New Worlds. Let me know, everybody, how I did on my character guesses from <laughs> your opinion, having watched lots of Deep Space Nine. Was I overambitious about the instrument playing and the dancing? Please say no. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this on the free feed, thank you so much for listening. Normally, we give ratings on the entertainment value of the concepts and the sexiness of uh -huh. an episode of Star Trek. We're going to hold off. Yeah. Until the end of the two-parter here. It's too soon to tell. Exactly. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek!